Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you for joining us every week at the same time. As you can see today, again, I have on the set with me my oldest son, Jeremy. This is probably program number four that we filmed on Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to continue our conversation today, but it is a great privilege to have you on, Jeremy. We've had a good time the last couple of weeks. I always enjoy it. Yep. We're going to unpack some more things. I trust you're enjoying these programs. If you are, let us know that you are. Go to, you know, my public profile on Facebook and let us know, or go to our website. There is a uh, email link at info at lenhouse.com where you can just send us an email and let us know you're enjoying it and appreciating what we're saying. Uh, these things, I think, have been revolutionary. This has been one of the great studies I believe we've done on this program. If you've missed any of them and you'd like to go back and, uh, and see what we've done with the the book of Hebrews, uh, they are archived on YouTube, and everything we have aired to date is there for your viewing pleasure at no cost to you. So all you have to do is just go back there and watch them, and it'll catch you and bring you up to speed on what we're sharing. If you don't have uh, YouTube or internet, you can go and get our uh, podcast through iTunes, and you can get the audio portion. There's also uh, an RSS feed to if for your Android device where you can stream this in your car on the way to work. It's a great way to redeem time. While you're there, and uh, see, the best way to do that is simply to go to my website at lynnhiles.com, and there's a direct link there uh, to our uh, iTunes, to our podcast, and to our uh, uh, YouTube page. While you're there, there's all kinds of products there that uh, all of our books, Revelation of Jesus Christ, From Law to Grace, Unforced Rhythms of Grace are all my newest material that you can go and get there. Uh, there's also uh, uh, all kinds of information about where we're going to be preaching. Uh, come and be with us in one of our meetings. We travel all over the world, and we are at a different location every week somewhere. And we love it when we meet our television audience. And the chances are real high of you actually getting to meet me if you come out to one of these meetings. We'd love to meet you, shake your hand, and just uh, let us know that you're there, and uh, we'll uh, try to make an effort to be able to meet you. Uh, we're going to get back in the Word today, and uh, we're, we're talking about Hebrews 11. And last week we were talking about, you know, how, and the several weeks before that, uh, Hebrews 11 is talking about these men of faith all did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. Once again, Hebrews 10, they were moving Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is saying to them, listen, don't draw back. In other words, don't go back to Judaism. He was trying to keep these Hebrews from going back and missing this mark of the new covenant. And he's saying, listen, I know you're suffering. I know you are uh, losing your goods. You're being spoiled. They're, they're burning some of you to stake. But he's saying to them, let me take your focus off of your immediate problem and put your focus back on your heroes of faith. And remember that they went through some similar things. Yeah. But they obtained a good report through faith. And so they built something, every one of them had built something in the visible realm. We talked about last, we talked about how Abel, his approach to God was based on a sacrifice instead of 
the sweat of his brow. We, we talked about how Enoch walked with God and was not. We talked about last week Noah built something in the visible realm that was redemptive. But all of these men did something in the visible realm that was a picture, or if you will, the shadow of the redemptive work of Christ. The Old Testament is the shadow. The New Covenant is the substance. So when he opens Hebrews 11, he's saying to us that are in this era and saying to them that were on the threshold, they were already living in the fulfillment of the redemptive work of Christ. And he's trying to get them to see that. And he's saying to them, now faith is a substance. In other words, we're not believing because we believe God is going to do something. We believe because God already has done something. And last week we talked about Noah, how Noah's name meant rest. That the ark was a picture of Christ. We get in a vehicle called Christ. He told Noah, build something redemptive, because when you build something redemptive, it will save your family. And uh, they got in this ark. They landed on a mountain called Ararat. It's not an accident, Jeremy, that this word Ararat means the curse has been reversed. Yep. And so they got in a world where the curse had been reversed. And you know, you so powerfully spoke to things last week about how God wanted them to live lavishly. He wants this abundant life for you. And you talked about how people are living literally in addictions and one decision to believe brings you out of a world dominated by sin and the curse and puts you in a new world where the curse has been reversed, where you can have this abundant life, not just when you die, but right now. And I was thinking after we went off the air, and I wanted to pick this up yet too, because I don't want to get in a hurry on this chapter. But I, I, when we went off the air, I was thinking about Matthew 24. And he says this to me, and also in Luke's gospel, he said, but as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and took them all away. So will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, this is going to be different for most of you because our perspective of end times is completely different. And so, you know, if you're interested in it, you know, if you'll let us know, we have a series called, uh, I believe it was the Grace Leadership 2016, where I taught a lot of stuff about end times the tribulation, all of that, and you can get that series by calling the number on the screen. But nevertheless, he says as it was in the days of Noah, that's the way it's going to be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. But when Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24, what we forget is he was talking to that first century audience, mm -hmm. and he's standing there in front of their temple, and he's saying to them, do you not see all these things? Talking about the temple and all of its he said, not one stone's going to be left on another that's not going to be thrown down. In other words, God said, I'm going to dismantle this old covenant system and its centerpiece, which is its temple with its animal sacrifices. It was to the Jews where heaven and earth met. It was their Bethel, heaven and earth. That old heaven and old earth, that old temple was about to be destroyed, and a new heaven and a new earth was about to come on the scene. That would be the new temple and the new tabernacle of God, which is a people. Yep. Now we're going to talk more about the city of God probably in the next segment, because Abraham looked for a city in Hebrews 11, but he found it in Hebrews chapter 12. But what I wanted to say is that Jesus was standing there to that audience and he says, these, when he begins to prophesy of that demise, and he talks about wars, rumors of wars, they'll deliver you up to be killed, there'll be famines and earthquakes and, and uh, you know, all these things. And he begins to list all that stuff. But he says this in verse 34, Matthew 24. 
He said, this generation will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Now, I know a lot of people like to twist that and pull that out of context. Yeah. But he was talking to that first century generation. And he was saying to them, this generation, what generation? The Jesus generation, relevant to that group. He said, this generation will not pass until everything I told you comes to pass, including They'll, they'll deliver you up to be killed. Tribulation will come. Famines, earthquakes. I can take you through the New Testament and show you where every one of them has been fulfilled, including where he said this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. He's not talking about the end of a global situation. He's talking about the end of a covenantal period or the end of the old covenant age. And so Paul said that several places, the gospel's been preached to every creature under heaven, Romans 1. He also says it in Colossians. Their sound went out in all the earth. There's no place where their voice has not been heard. So the end came. The end of what? The end of that age. Jesus would make this statement in Matthew 10, I believe it was. He said, there are some of you standing here, talking to that generation yep. that will not taste death, till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Yep. Uh, I mean, he says that several places. He tells Caiaphas, and from henceforth, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And actually, Josephus records that in the final days of the siege of the city of Jerusalem, when it was collapsing, there was appeared in the clouds, literally, as it were, the appearance of horses moving about in chariots in the clouds, and the appearance of a man in the cloud. There was literally a historical documented case of an appearing in the clouds, because that was him coming in judgment, because cloud comings would have been an Old Testament concept that they all would have understood. He, but in several places he talks about, in Matthew 16, you will not have finished going through the cities of Jerusalem till the Son of Man become. When people start to panic about Matthew 24, and they ask me things about that, and I'll say to them, first of all, he said, let him that's in Judea flee to the mountains. I say to them, you don't live in Judea. You live in America. <laughs> this was first century stuff. This stuff is not somewhere out in your distant future. This was the closing days of an old covenant. Jesus said in Matthew 24, He said, he said to them, uh, or you know, King James translated like this, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? But, but because of that old King James word world, we think in terms of global, and it's not the word world, it's the Greek word eon, age. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The age that was passing was the age of the old covenant. Yep. And the age that was coming was the new world where the curse had been reversed. They're being redeemed from the curse of the law. They're about to enter a new world. They're about to enter a promised land of new covenant that's not based on your performance. It's based on His. If we don't get that, hallelujah. You know, even Matthew 5 when Jesus gave, and I, I know I'm doing a lot of talking on this one, but I need to get this settled a little bit. Matthew 5, Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass to all be fulfilled. See, if heaven and earth have not already passed away, we're still under the law. Yeah. But heaven and earth are not global. They're not cosmic. They're covenantal. The heaven and earth that passed was their temple, their covenant, their land was about to fit. And God was about to bring a new temple, a new promised land, a new world, a new city, a new bride. Everything was about to come on the scene wherein dwell righteousness. That's not some future thing. Mm -hmm. That was something we should have been living in all along. And he's talking to them all through the Scripture about the life of the coming age. Yep. 
Even terms where it uses eternal life, it includes heaven. Listen, I'm not doing away with heaven. Don't think that's what I'm doing. But he was talking about the word eternal there means aeonian, or the life of the age to come. And Jesus defines the life of the coming age, the eternal life, part of what includes heaven. But he said, this is life eternal, that you might know the Father, that you might live life out of a relationship with Dad as father and son, and live your life in the context of sonship, where the curse has been reversed. Live in a new world where you don't have to expect catastrophe, but you can expect the kingdom of God to ever increase, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. And I'm going to let you have it just a moment, but what I'm simply saying is here, we come, we, we're in that new world. Yep. And, and the, the way you experience it now is you simply get in Christ. You come through the blood. You come through the water. And the moment you come up out of the borders of baptism, the, the, when he said these are like the days of Noah, that old world ended. Yeah. That old world of Judaism, that old world of all of those stuff, judgments that a lot of people think is coming in the future are not in your future. I tell people a lot of times, everything you believe about the end times is right, except you've got the end at the wrong spot. It's not in your future. It happened A.D. 70. It was the end of that covenant. And we got a lot of stuff on that. But we can live right now in a new world where the curse has been reversed because we're not under the law of Moses. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Go ahead. Well, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, uh, not one of the things we've been teaching in our church, like I said, we've taken the book of Hebrews and likened it to the report that Joshua and Caleb brought back of, of the spying out the promised land. You had ten that brought back an evil report two that brought back a good report. And they began to declare that we're well able to take the land. And uh, I told our people, I said, you know, if Joshua and Caleb, you know, if Joshua, after he took the children of Israel into the promised land, was still preaching after they, you know, several years after they lived in the promised land, that, you know, one of the days we're going to cross this Jordan and we're going to get this promised mm-hmm. land. People go, uh, Joshua, you must be getting seen now because <laughs> that's already happened. Yeah. We already did that. You know, we're, we're living here now. But, you know, honestly, that's the way, you know, or take Noah, we're using in this story. If Noah, after they got out of the ark, after the flood came, and the, you know, and, and God brought them into a new world, if he, several years later, he's telling his kids, you know, one day we're going to get this ark built, and we're going we're gonna to get out of here, you know. Cause we're going on a boat trip. We're going to go, on, <laughs> you know, rain's going to come. They're going to go, Dad's getting to see now because that, that's already happened. That's already happened. But yet, that's kind of what we do in the American church is that we look at something that's already happened and we're preaching it like it's still coming. I say that. And see, if that, and no wonder we're living so confused, you know, because if, that's, if, if, if you teach that long enough and people believe it, they won't live in the place that they are now. Well, that's, that's the thief of it all. And that becomes the thief. You know, I think one of the things that's, uh, uh, I think, you know, as we were talking about Noah here, after they enter out of the ark, uh, the Lord tells them to live lavishly. Well, it says that uh, Noah became a husbandman, and he built himself a vineyard. And one night he got, he took that vineyard and he began to live lavishly. He began to enjoy it. And until he got, you know, he was in his, he was in his tent, naked, passed out. God was not mad at him for that. What happened was we had, we had one son named Ham who comes in, sees it, and begins to expose it. And two other sons have to go in, and it says that uh, it was uh, Shem and uh, Japheth who began to take a cover. They walked backwards, which to me uh, reminds me of what they did in the tabernacle when they would walk in and, and they would take the coverings and they would cover the ark. But they walked in backwards, and uh, there's a Jewish uh, um, 
like lore or history or, or belief that uh, that that Shem was actually Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. That you know, if you really if you figure up the, the the length of time that he lived, he was actually alive even up to the time that I believe Jacob was born. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was he would have been old enough that when uh, Abraham came back from the slaughter of the kings of Chedorlaomer, he could have been the one that brought him. But what I but you know Hebrews will talk, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because Hebrew talks about that we have a better priesthood under the order of Melchizedek. And so one of the, like we keep talking about a mind change and, and understanding that we can live in this that we're not waiting on a destruction to come. We are living in a promised land where the destruction has already taken place and we're able to live in a, in a new place where there's better priesthood, there's better covenants, there's better yep. tabernacles. When, when Shem went in there, it says that after that, when, when, when Abraham, or when Noah woke up and he realized what Ham had done, that he began to put a curse on Ham. And the reason I believe that is, and I really began to think about that as you were saying, and some things I've actually even been studying, why, the, you know, why, if we're living in a new world, did he put this curse on Ham and bring a curse back mm -hmm. into the earth? But I really believe it was because Ham really represents to me that old covenant system that's ready to expose nakedness, mm -hmm. ready to put, condemn people for living lavishly or enjoying the life of the age that we're living in, the mm -hmm. kingdom that's available to us to realize that God is not bringing condemnation in this new world. He's not bringing shame in this new world, but he's got a covenant in, in this new world. He's got a rainbow set in the sky. And what happened was, I believe the reason he was cursed is because he was an old covenant mindset that was brought into a new world. Yeah. And I believe that we have today, a, 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 the reason why I believe sometimes even the church is suffering is because there's a curse that's brought upon us by preaching an old covenant system. Rather than realizing, you know, but, but here's the thing, he, you know, he brings this curse on him, but then he says to him, you're going to be a servant to Shem. Mm -hmm. you're going to, your, your descendants are going to serve Shem. In other words, the only thing that's going to be what brings that even into a redemption is when it comes into a place where it begins to serve a greater priesthood or a Melchizedek priesthood that brings not shame, not condemnation, but he brings bread and wine. Mm -hmm. He brings the, the, the supplements of the Lord and begins to say, why don't you sit down because, you know, we have a saying in our country that, you know, you are what you eat. And so what you have to begin to do, what breaks the curse even off a cursed uh, son. For those who still want to stay under the law. They still want to stay under the, the law. What was going to even break that kind of curse is when they come under a priesthood of Melchizedek, a priesthood of Christ who has bread and wine and he begins to feed that to them until their mindset changes. See, here's the thing, like I said, if we're still preaching that, you know, that, that what Jesus said in Matthew 24 is coming, what we're doing is bringing confusion and really what we're doing is bringing shame and condemnation and it's bringing a curse upon us because we're not being powerful in the earth, we're yep. being powerless. So even the things that we're suffering in this world. See, even Paul said, let, you know, him that comes preaching any other gospel, let him be a curse. So that could really connect with what you're saying about, you know, him being back under the curse. Because the only way you can curse people in the new covenant is to put them back up under law. Yep. And so he's bringing, but, but what happens is what will break that curse off of your life is when you come and set under an order, a priesthood under the order of Melchizedek who's going Serving to feed bread you bread and wine. Yeah. Who's going to, in other words, teach you this isn't about your works. You know, in other words, we said this last week, they didn't enter, the, the, what kept that whole world out of the ark was not their sin, it was their unbelief. 
So they perished when the rains came and the floods came, not because of their sin. They perished because they would not believe what Noah was preaching and get into that ark and be saved. Their families could have been saved just like Noah's family, but they refused to believe. What will happen is, is if we refuse to believe that we're not, that if we're still waiting on the day of the Lord rather than living in the day of the Lord, mm -hmm. it will bring us into a curse because we're, you know, here's, because I'm telling you, I've experienced people who it's cursed their life what they believe. Yep. You know, they have it refrained from stuff. They yeah. have not enjoyed life. They've not, you know, even the, you know, God gave a, a, a dominion in the book of uh, Genesis and he says, be fruitful and multiply. I've heard stories where people have been robbed of being fruitful and multiplying because they believed where Matthew 24 said, woe to those with children and those that give suck in yep. those days. And so they believed that they were still waiting, that that, that destruction coming, they didn't have children. Yep. Because they were thinking, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be with child when Jesus comes back. Yep. And this destruction takes place. I don't want to, you know, experience it. So they didn't, so they got robbed of those things. You can be robbed. And we said, I think it was, uh, even last week we said that, you know, you can believe a lie and be damned. And that's not necessarily just going to hell, but that can be a damnation even in what you're living. You're not living to the full potential. You're living a life under condemnation. That's where the word damn comes from, because you're under the wrong message that condemns you rather than giving you life. And so, you know, we live under that curse. If, we're, if you're, in, a, in other words, even as a believer, if you're your life is still cursed, maybe there needs to be some repentance to come to Jesus and really begin to feed on the bread and wine. In other words, what that means to me is begin to feed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that really means. You know, one of the things that really began to shift my thinking, even as a young man, uh, was a man by the name of Gary Garner began to preach, uh, he called it the six steps to the throne, of uh, being crucified, died, buried, quickened, raised, and seated. And he began to preach that as that's what Jesus did. And he did those things for you. But then Paul begins to take, and he begins to not only say that Jesus did it for me, but that I was in union with him so that Paul would say, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I was buried with him in baptism. I died with him, but I've also been quickened, raised, and I'm now seated with him in heavenly places. And so he began, Paul began to take it from something Jesus just did for me, but as Jesus did as an identification with me. And the more I began to identify, in other words, the more I began to feed on Melchizedek's bread and wine, the more the curse is removed from all my life. And I began to realize that I'm not waiting for this destruction to came. Destruction has already come. And I'm able to live in this new world. And I'm able to live there by faith. Mm -hmm. and as we talk even about this scripture, that it's, it's, it's about faith. He's, he's showing them the heroes of faith. And we talked about this you know, before, that, that faith, it doesn't take faith to believe that I'm a sinner. It doesn't take faith that, that, to, to, you know, to believe that maybe the world's bad. It doesn't take faith to believe that, you know, maybe I'm cursed or condemned, that God could be mad at me. That don't take faith because we get preached that all the time. Mm -hmm. And not only do we get preached that in church, but we get preached that on the world basis. Even the world preaches that kind yeah. of stuff. But see, that's really not the truth. The truth is that we have been redeemed from these things. Yep. That, that getting in Christ, see, if the, what faith is, is it takes faith to believe that I'm in Christ. That I'm the righteous the of God in Christ. Reversed. The Christ, the, the curse has been reversed. It takes faith because we hear all the time destruction is coming. I'm not just talking about on the world system, or on a church system, but also the world will preach. I mean, I've just seen uh, uh, one, uh, one of the great uh, uh, scientific minds of all times just passed. 
and uh, you know, he was one, some of the last things he said was talking about you know how the world could be destroyed by either a meteor or alien invasion or and he was going I mean it was and it was all gloom and doom and I thought you know this dude is preaching what you mostly hear in church and that's the so it doesn't take faith to believe that maybe one day the earth could be destroyed and we're all going to get taken with it. What takes faith is that the earth is the, the world and the earth of the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell in it. In other words, God isn't looking to destroy some stuff. God is looking to save some stuff. Yep. He's looking to expand the kingdom. He's looking to, you know, uh, you know restore. I, let me just jump just real quick, but say, you know, as a scriptural backup to that, Paul said to, the, you know, unto him be glory in the churches throughout all ages, world without end. Yep. So I believe we're living in a world that will not end. That so will I, not end. Go ahead. Yeah. And so we have this. And so, and, you know, in other words, here's, you know, and you take even that priesthood of Melchizedek, if it was Shem, Shem lived from the time, in other words, he saw the curse of the earth. He saw the floods came. He came through the floods, came out into a brand new world. He shows up to Abraham while Isaac and his seed is still inside of him and begins to give him bread and wine and says, listen, I don't want you to ever forget what we've been through and what's available to you. In other words, he was saying to Abraham, look, if you eat of this, you won't look for a destruction. You'll look for a, you'll look for a country whose builder and maker is God. You'll look, you might dwell in some places that you don't even know and understand. You'll think you're a stranger here and this can't be it. But what you'll realize is that this is my seed and my seed seed will take this land and inherit it and this will be a place that you'll live eternally. In other words, here's what God really wants to get into the mindset, I believe even of the church especially, is a change that start that's that, that, to keep preaching. Instead of us preaching the destruction to come, preach a destruction that's already came and that a world that's without end, a world that we can begin to receive the goodness of God, where we're not looking for the nakedness and the shame and reproach of people, but we're looking to carry some stuff to cover some nakedness, that we're looking to begin to, to, to be husbandmen, to, again, eat from some giant vineyards, live in some giant houses, to begin to change our mindset from thoughts of death to thoughts of life, to begin to live in the kingdom of God, not someday, but today. Blessed is he that calls it today and began to change our mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I said some time ago, if I sat here and told you it's going to rain, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, we need to build an ark, everybody would say, you're crazy. That was not written to us. It was written to the first, you know, first people on the planet. I would say you're exactly right. But I would say the same thing about Matthew 24. We try to hang that out in the future like that's for us today, and it was written to a first century generation. We need to get beyond, lose our last day mentality, get a new day mentality, and start possessing what really belongs to us because the earth is the Lord's of the fullness thereof. It is our inheritance, and it is the curse has been reversed because we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. And that those things that came even in Revelation, you can go to YouTube, watch our Revelation series, but what happened in the book of Revelation was not for some future generation. That happened to a first century. There was really seven churches really in Asia, and that happened, and it was the fulfillment of God keeping His end of the covenant bargain of Deuteronomy, and He brought on them all the curses that Deuteronomy spoke of so that we are not looking forward to curses. They were the last plagues, and then was filled up the wrath of God. In other words, we are beyond that season into a brand new day. I know that's probably blowed your mind, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I, it's, it, it, just consider the possibilities. But the reality of it is, is 
uh, you know, just go back and enjoy some of the things we've said. We're about to run out of time. We do need your help to stay on the air. If you'd like to become part of our ministry or so into it, call the number on the screen. Go to our website. It's the easiest way to do it. Give via credit card or a debit card. Somebody standing by to take your call if you'd like to call and give uh, via the phone. You can write a check or money order. Send it to the address that'll come up on the screen. Your help is what helps us take the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom around the world. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.